Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in this episode, we're going to take a look at the history of phonographs and zero in on a very particular company that once existed in Kalamazoo, Michigan, called the Duplex Phonograph Company. And their promotional line was made for you in Kalamazoo. So come along and join me. Let's go back to the 19th century early beginnings of phonographs. So the reference I'll be using today comes from the local history section of Kalamazoo on the Kalamazoo History Museum's website. And this article is about the Duplex Phonograph Company. And I'm not going to read the entire thing to you, but I'm going to give you the highlights so that we can follow along the story and go through some of the history of the phonograph industry and the Duplex Phonograph Company, which was very short-lived in Kalamazoo. And it had a unique approach. And today, that type of phonograph is very special among collectors because so few of them exist. So as the 19th century Victorian charm gave way to 20th century modern, the phonograph emerged as a compelling new form of home entertainment. This is the precursor to the record players and the tape decks and CD players and even the MP3 files that we listen to on our iPhones today. The phonograph, typically, in to get a visual of it, had a basic bass, and it spun a disc. There was a needle that went out to... Well, it normally went out to one big cone, and that's what most people are accustomed to recalling when they see a picture of a phonograph. If you look at today's Grammy Awards... The name Grammy comes from the gramophone, which was one of the early phonographs. And it has, as its icon, a phonograph uh, as the top of the uh, award, even to today. So when the phonograph was introduced, skeptics of the time, of course, refused to take the talking machine seriously at first, as with many new inventions that come along. And... Uh, you have to remember that the Victorian era, the way you went and experienced entertainment is you had to go see live performances. Whether you had a choir or a, a band or a orchestra uh, or a concert performed at an opera house or uh, any kind of community gathering, that was where you went to get your musical experience. People often had pianos and music rooms set up in their homes to entertain guests. So they would have either their kids or their uh, family member that was quite talented in that area to play piano on an evening or play saxophone or whatever instrument that they were playing, the violin and that sort of thing. And throughout Battle Creek, Kalamazoo, Southwest Michigan, there were a lot of music stores during the Victorian area that taught people music and that was a big thing in fact in battle creek alone at one point i think there was four different music stores um, prior to the 1900s in downtown area and they all sold everything from uh, pianos to 
violins, guitars, and such to teach people to play music. It was the main form of musical entertainment, and it was a, the popular way to do it was to learn how to play an instrument or have someone in your family learn how to play an instrument, and they became the one that performed at family gatherings and so forth. So you get the idea. So along comes the development of the phonograph, and we have this uh, musical instrument that suddenly has the ability to play a concert that was maybe held in Chicago on this little disc inside somebody's home. And so they were kind of uh, referred to as canned music. And one of the early critics was John Philip Sousa, who was the famous composer and conductor. And he had his own disdain for it as canned music. In a 1906 article, he called the phonograph a menace of mechanical music. Still, the phonograph continued to gain popularity, especially after the emergence of Emily Berliner's flat disc gramophone records around 1900. And that was where we have the brand, the gramophone. Before the appearance of the electric phonographs in the 1920s, acoustic sound amplification and recording for that matter was accomplished through the use of large metal or glass or even wooden horns. The unique shape of these horns soon created instantly recognizable icons for the respective manufacturers. In fact, the archetypal gramophone, as I mentioned before, still remains as a hallmark of the Recording Academy. And of course, it's the namesake of the award Grammy. So in their heyday, talking machines could be found in various styles and sizes. The horns ranging from sleek and simple to elaborate and ornate. One rather novel approach employed two horns side by side in attempt to offer twice the sound, or at least that was the claim. And this was made by a company called the Duplex Phonograph Company, and it made a brief yet significant impact on the commercial sound recording industry and helped to bring notoriety to the city of Kalamazoo with its famous motto, made for you in Kalamazoo, dual horn phonograph. So the Duplex two-horn phonograph was the brainchild of a man named Charles E. Hill, who was born in May of 1862. And he was a Canadian immigrant, and he was self-proclaimed a talking machine expert from Lincoln, Nebraska, a region of the United States that played a prominent role in the early days of phonograph history. Leon Douglas, co-founder of the Victor Talking Machine Company, was a young Nebraskan when he displayed an early coin-operated phonograph at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, as was Erastus Benson, president of the Nebraska Phonograph Company and an affiliate of Thomas Edison. While it's unclear if Hill ever affiliated with either of these men, it was certain that he was in the right place at the right time with his invention and certainly in the right place in the country. So during the 1890s, the talking machine industry was controlled by a tightly knit group of aggressive competitors, including the National Gramophone Company, which was originally Berliner and later it became Victor, and then the Columbia Phonograph Company and the National Phonograph Company, which was run by Edison. And from 1896, Charles Hill worked for phonograph manufacturers and distributors 
in and around Kansas City, Missouri, and reportedly oversaw the opening of several highly successful phonograph stores. And it was during this time that Hill developed his own design for a seemingly unique dual horn system, which attempted to gather and amplify the sound vibrations from both sides of a transducer's diaphragm, preserving, as Hill described, sound waves made at one side of the reproducer diaphragm, which are ordinarily dissipated and thereby lost to the audience. And that was how he stated it in his patent with the U.S. Patent Office in 1904. Now, this statement makes for great marketing, but it is, of course, fundamentally flawed. Sound waves gathered in this manner are by nature out of phase and actually tend to cancel each other out. They actually go into an example of this later in the same article, and they explain that as a defect in his thinking process, which he didn't quite understand at the time. However, there is a video on this article, which I'm going to put the links to the article, and I'm also going to put the links to the YouTube video, so that you can actually hear one of these duplex phonographs that were produced in Kalamazoo and hear the sound that they made which you'll have to remember was pretty revolutionary for the time. So on April 15, 1905, Hill and his associates allegedly formed the Duplex Phonograph Manufacturing Company in Lancaster County, Nebraska, claiming initial capital of $300,000. Hill set up his enterprise in a former woodworking mill in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, where he planned to manufacture his own recently patented record store display shelving and phonographs. But the Nebraska Supreme Court records that were filed in April of 1909 indicated that Hill only pretended to organize what was known as the Duplexophone Company, and the Articles of Incorporation were never actually filed with the Lancaster County Clerk. On the other hand, a Nebraska charter for the Duplexophone Manufacturing Company did seemingly exist as it was reportedly canceled in 1909. But despite all this, Hill had big plans for the Duplexophone phonograph. He had favorable reviews in the New York trade papers like Talking Machine World and the Music Trade Review, and it stirred up a great deal of interest across the United States and abroad because of his new design. And even the articles stated that he purchased a good factory in Lincoln, Nebraska, and was expecting to turn out about 50,000 machines by the year's end, and the factory in Lincoln was reportedly equipped with $14,000 worth of new equipment and enough capacity to turn out 300 machines per day. But somehow or other, the duplexophone company failed to meet its June production deadline, and there's evidence that some of the working prototypes did make their way out of Nebraska as there were reports of people listening to it at local meetings around town. However, the manufacturing in Lincoln, Nebraska, never seemed to get off the ground. Hill apparently was dissatisfied with this, and he began purchasing the necessary metalworking machines in order to begin production in Lincoln, and visited Kalamazoo during this time in 1905, and developed a relationship with a company called the Kalamazoo Novelty Company which was formerly known as Novelty Work. And the Novelty Company offered manufacturing 
capabilities for him for the new duplexophone. So ultimately, he made arrangements to work with this organization, and they began manufacturing the new duplex phonograph in Kalamazoo. And they came up with the catchphrase, made for you in Kalamazoo, as part of their ambitious marketing plan. And this advertisement said that the duplex company would then assemble the machines in Kalamazoo and ship the finished products directly to customers by mail in response to orders received through an aggressive advertising campaign. And that was in the Kalamazoo Telegraph. The duplex phonograph was a big and uniquely beautiful instrument. Its appearance alone made it stand out among its competitors. With imposing silk-wrapped brass horns, stately oak cabinet, and striking graphics, the duplex phonograph vied for a top seat within the booming phonograph industry. The complete package was described in an advertisement in 1905 as a case or cabinet machine made throughout of solid quartered oak and handsomely decorated with inlaid French marquetry. Set in columns of corners, hand rubbed and beautifully polished, the large talking machine case, it is 18 inches long, 14 inches wide, 10 inches high. The motor has large double springs and runs several records with one winding. It is the strongest and best motor manufactured and will wear a lifetime. Reproducer, 4 inches in diameter, the largest ever made. The horn cane made of brass and nickel plated. All trimmings made of brass and finely nickel plated. Two silk-covered brass horns, 30 inches long, with 18-inch bells. These horns alone sell at retail for $14. 300 best quality needles and six selected records, making a complete outfit ready to play. This outfit will sell in stores at retail for $125. And that was in the commoner of December 8th, 1905, as an advertisement. But trouble was quickly brewing on the horizon for this new duplexophone company. And Charles Hill was to face several legal battles as the company continued to exist. But before that happened, the company began to grow and build its manufacturing operations. And there are a lot of changes that are mentioned in this article that you should take time to read if you're really interested in this history. Production began on September 17th, 1906. And it began at the new Patterson Street facility with 150 employees, an output of 150 machines, nearly six times of that of the previous facility that they had established. And the company had gone through some pretty questionable articles of incorporation in Nebraska. And so when the operation was firmly established in Kalamazoo, additional articles of incorporation were filed with the Michigan Secretary of State in Lansing in November of 1906. And it listed the officers of the company as well as a capital stock of $100,000. And the advertisement began to promote it as the greatest of all musical inventions. And so in 1906, Duplex began an aggressive $40,000 national print advertising campaign. And by mid-January, the distinctive dual horn phonograph was being advertised extensively in the leading magazines as a Kalamazoo product. And ads ran through the year in several national publications that 
drew the attention of people all over the U.S., and it included the Saturday Evening Post, the Cosmopolitan, the Literary Digest, Collier's, the Kansas City Star, the New York Tribune, the Washington Times, and many other major publications of the day, including Popular Mechanics. What's interesting is that the advertisements in the Kalamazoo papers didn't appear until the 1906 holiday season. And then they were in the Kalamazoo Telegraph Press and the Kalamazoo Gazette. So they did advertise locally. They did advertise nationally. And they came up with a rather interesting marketing ploy in the 1908 Christmas season. And this is when duplex shop foreman Clell Miller fashioned a miniature working model of a figure eight roller coaster to help draw attention to the duplex company and its store product display. And it constructed of metal and it was powered by electricity and it was a unique feature. And it was an exact replica of the popular attraction at Oakwood Park, which had just opened the previous year. So in addition to the phonograph machines themselves, the duplex phonograph company issued a significant number of 78 RPM recordings under the Kalamazoo label. Basically, they were selling the discs that people could use with their phonograph machines, and they had upwards of 2,000 titles. And it's kind of unclear, looking back at it, whether they intended to sell these commercially or just strictly intended to use them as promotional items to be given away with the purchase of their machines, or perhaps both. They did include packages of records. Initially, you could get in the 1907 offer, free six 7-inch records or three 10-inch records with every duplex that you purchased. And these included recordings of musicians of the day, but it also included some novelty recordings like Joe Jefferson's characterization of Rip Van Winkle, which was basically a recorded story. And by late 1907, Duplex upped its free records ante by substantially introducing the Home Concert Collection, which was a Duplex package that included Duplex phonographs plus a greatly expanded selection of records. And the advertisements included one of the things that they called the Square Deal, which came complete with 16 of the best 10-inch records that money could buy. But as I mentioned earlier, trouble was beginning to brew. During the decades that surrounded the turn of the 20th century, the infant sound recording industry was a hotbed of innovation, and it was also a tangled mess of underhanded handshake agreements, patent ruses, and contradictory court filings. The sudden popularity of the phonograph and its resulting commercial success spawned a great number of technical innovations, and it seemingly created an endless stream of new competitors. Major companies like Victor Talking Machine Company, Edison, Columbia, and the United States Gramophone Company held numerous patents. Edison alone held more than 1,000 patents on this section of the industry, which they aggressively fought to protect through the use of high-powered and high-priced patent attorneys, and they also engaged in lengthy court battles and costly litigation. Thanks to the high visibility afforded by its aggressive national advertising campaign, the duplex phonograph company soon landed itself squarely in the sights of the industry's big guns. So Victor was one of the first ones to file suit 
against the duplex phonograph company, and the United States gramophone company did so as well, citing patent infringement. And these injunction papers were filed as early as February of 1907. So during the injunction, which was indeed issued on March 21st, 1907, the Kalamazoo plant was forced to cease manufacturing operations, although assembly, shipping, and office operations were allowed to continue as normal. So a skeleton crew of 25 workers, 13 men and 12 women, were retained to keep assembly and shippings rolling at the rate of about 30 machines per day. And so they continued on a basically a low level of operation while this injunction was being sorted out in the federal courts. So by May, the initial injunction was denied by the federal court judge and manufacturing operations were allowed to resume although the court battle between Victor and Duplex was far from over. Duplex wins read the headlines as company officials tried to downplay the situation, stating that Victor had simply been trying to block the company's tremendous growth, and the Duplex phonograph company was now free to expand. But Victor and Duplex lawyers continued to argue over possible patent infringement. So there was quite a complicated legal process that happened, but essentially what ended up happening is in January of 1908, Victor Talking Machine Company filed a second suit against Duplex. And this time they were required by the courts to suspend their advertising campaign, which was the lifeblood of their mail order business. And the Phillips Publishing Company, who they had a contract with for the advertising, turned around and sued them and won a settlement against Duplex in April of that same year over an unpaid advertising contract. So they were in this dual legal battle between these two lawsuits, one brought about by the other. And finally, in 1909, in May of that year, the U.S. Circuit Court granted the second injunction against Duplex on behalf of the Victor Talking Machine Company, along with its partner, the United States Gramophone Company of Philadelphia. And this immediately brought production of the dual horn phonograph to a grinding halt. By 1910, the company was completely defunct and there was a major foreclosure sale on all of the company's assets. The company made one more final appeal in the court systems in 1910, stating that their double sound box and their two separate diaphragms and the employment of a double horn bell system distinguished it from a single bell and this alone differentiated duplex from the previous inventions and therefore it did not infringe on the patents. That was their argument. However, much to their dissatisfaction, the judge upheld the earlier ruling and the appeal was dismissed. So the Duplex Phonograph Company, which was for a brief time one of the largest and most prosperous talking machine companies in the United States, lost a very important legal fight with the Victor Company, and it was over infringement of patents, and their vitality was essentially sapped out of them and they were forced out of business altogether. So the manufacturing company was sold and it was purchased by different people. The final owner of Duplex as a manufacturing firm continued to operate it as a phonograph repair shop called the Duplex Phonograph Company out of a third floor office along uh, Burdick Street in Kalamazoo until about 1912. Although the company was very short-lived, the building itself existed in the Kalamazoo area for several decades. It was 
the home for Allied Chemical and then later General Chemical Operation to manufacture chemicals used in the paper making industry. And then it remained vacant for many years until it was eventually acquired by the Kalamazoo County Treasurer through tax foreclosure in 2010. And then ultimately it was raised in 2017 after it was sold to a development company. So this article goes into the interesting selling points of the duplex phonograph company as a double volume of sound which seems pretty interesting to the consumer of the time, but a physics textbook published in 1910 used the duplex phonograph as an example that the sound of the two horns basically side by side was a fundamentally flawed notion as the resulting sound waves would tend to cancel each other out and reduce the overall volume of the presentation of the sound. So it really wasn't that special of a design. Well, it's probably why it hasn't been repeated as a sound concept in later machines, you know. And there were a lot of grueling legal battles in the early days of the phonograph manufacturing business in the United States. And the industry, of course, took off quite rapidly and there were some big players that had the ability to hire attorneys, and there were others that could not. And Duplex, whether they were wrong or not, or whether it was really a patent infringement or not, they didn't have the ability to fight back, essentially, after they got buried in lawsuits. And they were unsuccessful in surviving the litigation war for their time. Today, however, if you come across one of these Duplex phonographs, they're apparently quite a collector's item. And they carry several serial numbers and different uh, demarcations about when they were produced and that sort of thing. And they can be verified whether they're authentic. And there's a lot of information in the article about that. So I'll put the link to this article in the podcast description so you can check it out. There's a lot of great pictures and more information about where the buildings and manufacturing were located. But I just find that this was a very interesting story in this period of history because you're coming out of the Victorian period where musical entertainment was live. It was in-person entertainment. And suddenly technology starts coming into play in the latter part of the 1800s in the early 1900s, and it changes all that. We get into this modern time period where technology is starting to change a whole industry that everybody took for granted as being that was the way things would always be done. And now you have this recording device that can bring a concert that was performed in one city on the other side of the country to another group of people on the other side of the country. that um, And they get to experience classical performances or whatever. And I think it had an interesting change in the music world, obviously. And it opened the doors to whole the whole recording industry and, of course, radio and the record labels of all that industry that lasted up and through the 1990s and early 2000s when we suddenly switched to iTunes and all those other things that we take for granted today where you can buy individual songs and so forth and have it downloaded right on your cell phone. Uh, it's just an interesting early look at the beginning of the sound recording industry, which started with the inventions of the talking machine industry in the late 1890s. And this story connects to the Kalamazoo area with the duplex two-horned phonograph. And it's just a fascinating story to look back at. 
So if you come across this strange looking duplexophone in a garage sale, you might have a unique item out there to pick up. So uh, be sure to grab it, especially if you can get it for a good deal. Uh, you might have quite an interesting artifact that uh, very few people have. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at the history of the Kalamazoo duplex company that manufactures the duplexophone. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a review and a rating on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And if you have a suggestion on a future episode or a guest, be sure to send me a message on there. I do have a lot of guests coming up for the future weekends, and a lot of people in the process of scheduling with me should be some very interesting guests coming up. So be sure to listen in on that. And there's a lot of exciting stuff happening this summer that I'll be talking about with the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, some great programs that we're in the process of developing for July and August that are going to be quite exciting, some youth programs as part of that and we also have some great events coming up we have our uh, grand opening or dedication ceremony happening in may for the history education center and i'll probably make mention of that coming up very soon and then we also have the Dell shannon weekend and i've mentioned that in other podcasts i've got a great guest coming up this sunday be sure to check out that episode this coming Sunday because I have the screenwriter for a future Del Shannon movie that I'm going to be interviewing, and he is going to be on the show on Sunday. And we're going to also talk about Del Shannon Weekend in that episode. So be sure to tune in for that and look forward to that episode. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.